Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present a very special episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, featuring Nick and the captain of the True Crime Garage podcast. Amy was last seen at the Bay Village Square shopping plaza, a popular after-school hangout for kids. She reportedly told classmates it was here that she was to meet a family friend who would take her on a shopping spree. I've always taught them the rules. You never go with anyone anywhere, but that's how we got through her, through her soft heart. She wanted to do something for mom, and it was supposed to be kept a secret. It's touched me very, very deeply. Um, I feel for this family tremendously, and uh, I feel very worried for the safety of all the children in Bay and, and everywhere. Bay Village Police and the FBI aren't thumbing their nose at any clues, including the remotest of possible leads. Right now, time is the enemy, as the abductor's trail grows colder by the day. It's been almost a week since her 10-year-old daughter was abducted by a man who looks like this. He reportedly told Amy he was a friend of the family and would take her to buy a gift for her mother. Brandon says the abductor may have confided in someone about the crime or sought to use them as an alibi, and that person may now be in danger. Parents, teachers, and religious leaders will be helping youngsters cope with their fears and questions for a long time, yet counselors know that many of the questions will never be answered. Police describe the man as white in his early 30s, about 5'9", of medium build with dark hair, a bald spot in the back, and round glasses. One of Amy's friends reportedly told police that Amy said she was to meet someone who claimed to be a friend of the family to go buy her mother a surprise gift. And part of the con involved luring Amy to the Bay Village shopping plaza. A phone call to Amy led her to believe the suspect was a friend of the family who wanted to buy her mom a surprise gift to celebrate a job promotion. I'd say rather than being frustrated, the, these people are determined, mm -hmm. uh, and that shows. They just uh, keep trying as hard as they can and doing everything possible. The search for Amy has lasted for four months. This picture of the Bay Village girl has been placed in every public place possible with the hope that someone, somewhere, would have information leading to her whereabouts. A female jogger was jogging this morning at approximately 7.30 and uh, she spotted something in the field and went off the field and checked and it was a body. The body of a young female uh, found in Ashton County early Thursday uh, morning has been identified as uh, that of Amy Mahalovic, age 12, of Bay Village of Ohio. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, I'll be wrapping up my conversation with Nick and the captain of the True Crime Garage podcast, as we discuss the case of Amy Mahalovic. This past Tuesday marked 31 years since Amy was abducted from Bay Village Plaza in Bay Village, Ohio, a town of just 17,000 people. And we would all like to see resolution to this case. And there's been a number of documentaries, there's been a number of podcasts, been a number of specials on this case, as well as news segments, and again... All we want to do is see a resolution and the perpetrator brought to justice. So join me this week as I conclude my conversation with Nick and the captain. But in the meantime, if you guys do have any tips, please contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234. Or you can contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Let's jump into my conversation with Nick and the captain on this week's episode of 
who killed Amy Mahalovic. All right, so let's back up to the two people that were told about the phone call. What the hell were they thinking when she was told when she told them, "Hey, I got a phone call from this person who so so you know says she works with my dad. He says he works with my mom. Um, we're gonna go buy a gift together." I mean, what if you were ten years old? What would your reaction have been to that kid? Like, no, don't do that. That doesn't sound like a smart thing to do. Or would you just shut up and just not say anything? I mean, again, all oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> that's okay no, I, that's I, honest especially at 10 i think the problem with that is they believed it because she believed it i mean they're they're hearing it from okay. her they're not experiencing that phone call they're not the one that's walking to the plaza to to meet this man i think it's just a, an oh by the way kind of thing that you go oh wait now it means something 24 hours later right uh, it didn't mean so much when we were just having casual conversation before. Um, but it's also the term. I'm going to meet a guy that's friends with my mom. And that's, so, that's a false sense of security. Well, so I think they could assume yeah. that you know, you know this person. You might just not know his name. Because how many people worked with you know my mother or my father that I saw five or six times and couldn't remember their name well she only worked with two males so no but what i'm saying is the kids that are receiving the information right they probably knew a couple people that worked with their mother or worked with their father and were like i i know some people but i don't know their names i can conf- confidently tell you that i was definitely in that yeah i, yeah, I, I mean, know how if, if, every if every kid was i mean who the hell knows their parents names i mean then well, and heck, you might know what your parents' job title is, but you might not know what the hell they do. No kidding. Like, okay, so you're this. Well, what does that what does that actually mean? I think it took me 25 years to figure out what my dad did as a banker. Yeah, and if if my if one of um if somebody that worked with my father would have drove up to my house and I was shooting basketballs, you know, shooting hoops. And he pulled up and said, hey, you got to get in the car. I got to go take you to see your dad at work. I would have been like, okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. But but that's what, that's where I question, though, is like, and I'm not saying that this guy is a moron, because, but I'm just saying that there's, if you really had this planned out, again, okay, I can get you to meet me at the plaza. I, I'm going to figure out what route you're going to take and I'm going to drive my car up and meet you out that route, you know, you know, um, intersect you before you get to the plaza where there's a bunch of people that could see what I look like or see what my car is. So, and I think that's what goes to my thought of him being in disguise to a degree, you know, or just not from the area. Um, because of the fact that this is somebody who's most likely, if he's from Bay, is going to be recognized. And it's a small town. We're talking a city of 15,000 people. We're not talking a major metropolitan area. I mean, if you recognize, you're, you're going to recognize this individual. And the problem is that this individual, like you look at the sketch, 
And the the sketch is basically what anybody from 1989 looked like. You know, that is what a 30-year-old person looked like. I mean, you could open up a whatever photo book from the year of 1989, and that was the style. A polo shirt or a members-only jacket, uh, big hair, and... And we're, but know, we're also assuming that the call was pretty short, though, right? The initial call. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I mean, I, there was enough information relayed to tell her that they would have forty-five dollars to spend um, if there was. Well, because I'm also I'm also doing something that I don't like doing is having a theory and then okay. trying to make my theory work. But but in the in the sake of doing that again with the planning you get the girl on the phone and the plan might've came out as you were talking to her. There might not have, there might've been a set idea before then all of a sudden, Oh yeah, by the way, your mom had this uh, promotion and like, he just sort I, of stumbled upon it. Like he didn't actually think she would actually pick up and be able to have a conversation with him and was sort of winging it is what you're saying. Yeah, possibly. Or he, or maybe he had multiple thoughts because I do think this guy, I, I don't know if planning is the right word, but I, I would default to Nick. I think Nick has a better gut sense than maybe I do. But I think the planning was more like constant daydreaming about this stuff. And so when he got in the moment, this ruse of we'll buy your mom a gift that was something that he thought about a bunch, but I don't think that might've been his only plan, but I, but I don't think this guy was sitting down with a pad of paper and mapping everything out and trying to come up with the greatest ideas. I think a lot of these plan, this, this is stuff that he thought about, you know, um, I want to do this one day. Oh, how would I do that? Next day, he's thinking of a different ruse. He's thinking of a different idea. And he probably did this a lot um, yeah, as some kind of weird per perversion or something. How do you feel about that, Nick? Because I think of, like, a guy in his basement, if that's the case. Okay, like, this is this is who I'm going after. You know, if the planning's... I'm with you on the planning side of things. I think this was more planned out, but I do think... I'm with the captain and both of you agree on this one that once she put up a fight or basically put a stop to whatever he was going to try to do, that's when everything went to hell in a handbasket. Well, no, I think we agree on the planning, but I think we, you know, how, how he did it, we'd never know. But I think this individual probably spent a lot of time driving around seeing people ride their bikes and then getting sure. ideas. Sure. And it, and it wasn't, like Nick said, the could I just grab this individual? His urge wasn't enough to make him do that. And he was smart enough to go, well, I don't know if that's the best way to get a victim. Yeah, I think that I think his lack of impulsiveness, the 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 patience that is shown here, I think does in fact point toward a certain level of intelligence or at least criminal sophistication. Do you feel like the ability to talk to a young girl, the way, you know, since we know that the conversation wasn't all that thorough, but 
you know, it wasn't like they spoke for 30 minutes or something. But then again, we don't know for a fact. But we do know that it was a local call. Um, do you feel that that ability to talk to somebody young is something that he could have learned in one of his professions or going to school or worked around kids? Or sad enough to think has kids of their own? That part is a little disturbing too. And I think both, I think both are disturbing. And I think, I think what's really disturbing about this thing is, is that there probably was a plan, a third, the third place where we don't know if, if they ever made it to the third place, you know, like the the third place is, is the car technically, but let's say there's a fourth place. Now the fourth place ended up being Ashland. Okay. But what would have happened if, they made it to from the third place to the fourth place. And, and that's where I think there was a, there was a plan and that's why they ended up down where they ended up. I don't feel like it was a random spot. I feel like it was someplace these, this individual absolutely knew where he was going with Amy. But if you look at the autopsy report, I've discussed it with Nick. I've demonstrated on Nick at CrimeCon, I think even about my theory about how she possibly was killed in the vehicle because of the fact that she probably put up a fight and there was, you know, skull fractures and the stab wounds were to the left side of the neck. And, you know, that just goes to a passenger sitting in a car seat or, you know, a car next to the driver. And let's say she starts freaking out and is trying to grab the steering wheel and he's got a pocket knife and he, you know, because the wounds are only two inches, but they go to the bone. But he's, right, right. you know, like, let's say he's just freaking out and he gets her three times in the aorta and, man, there's blood everywhere. And uh, not to get too graphic, but like that car and that crime, I mean, I think I think that's weird, weird about it because that kind of throws off my theory to the fact that she got killed in the carcass. Her clothes weren't covered in blood, were they? Nick, do you? remember the autopsy report um so it, it appears that she was she had at single... some point she at some point during this whole ordeal she was undressed and then redressed okay there's evidence to support that very strongly i wonder if that's why they've always never fully said that she was sexually assaulted but never have said that she wasn't but, but, but because, that's where i believe because that puts 100 percent a sexual component into the whole thing whether she was actually violated physically or not that's why i believe she got to whatever location they were supposed to okay but, but that, well, that's, but that, 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 but that doesn't mean she was killed there no i i, I really do think that this individual thought there was going to be some kind of relationship. That's what I, I agree with you on and, that. And so there could have been a molestation. There could have been just uh, an attempt. I'm going, watch, I'm going to watch you take a shower. Okay. Now you get redressed or, you know, now let's get back in the car. I mean, the, the killing could still, you could still get to the second location or the location that he was planning to take her. And she could still have died somewhere, been murdered somewhere else. I guess my question really relies on the insinuation part, you know, the bleeding out, the fact that she bled out as her cause of death. I'm sorry, but like knowing the Ashland area, knowing what's around there, I mean, it's a hunting Mecca. I mean, this is, this is where you would go to get your 
kill dressed and or whatever you do when you go to a butcher but there's got to be it just leads me to believe that there is some place that she bled out and then she was put back in her clothes and then dropped at this location yeah and that must have taken some so so there's a so there it is there's your answer to or an answer to the, my question about when she or where she was killed she was at least she at least made it to that other spot where her clothes were taken off because you can't imagine that happened in the car well unless it was a van or something like that well that's true ban the van ban the van um, no but but again also i think um and I don't want to keep arguing with Nick because that's what we do on our show. I think Nick's right. This guy is not, I'm not calling him a dummy. I'm just saying the average intelligence, maybe a little bit less than that. Not like, not like the guy can't read or write. Um, do you think it's weird that there, there have been no suspects named at all other than through writers and, Renner and well let's let's make sure we come back circle back to that because I do want to answer your you were talking about the exsanguination. Well, yeah, let's continue with that. Let's go ahead. That's fine. And I think you bring up a very valid point in something that is very interesting in talking about was this a murder that took place in the vehicle or in another location? And I think the exsanguination almost points. I mean, it, it technically could have happened in either the a vehicle or another location. But one thing that we have to keep in mind is the general rule is that uh, the amount of blood in a person's body is roughly 10% of their weight. Okay. And I believe that the medical term for the medical definition of using the term exsanguination on someone is that the majority of the blood in the body is not no longer there. So Let's say that that requires, and I think it's actually even more so than that. Like, I don't think that they just loosely throw that term around because it is something that's very specific. If you were to take it to like, you know, level of like Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, it would mean that the body was completely, that had no blood in it at all. But I think in the, as far as the medical field goes, it would suggest that it's over that of 60%. So if that is, in fact, the term that they're choosing to use, that means that somewhere, and there's no nice way of putting it, somewhere there was a lot of this child's blood. Is there any evidence that she was choked? I only know of the stab wounds to the neck and the blunt force trauma to the head as far as above the shoulder wounds. And so I think one thing that we need to keep in mind here, too, is that Bill, you're absolutely right. Everything in the autopsy itself shows us that this is some kind of, this is reactionary. The The offender reacted to something that was going on or not going on, and the attack happened. And because he's a grown man and she's a child, he got the best of her. And because he has a weapon and she does not, he got the best of her. I think that at some point she put up a fight or was not going to go along with whatever it was that he wanted to do. And the result is what we have this, this, this fight that took place, a fight to the death. And unfortunately she lost because 
She was smaller. She did not have a weapon. And yeah, I think. Well, I think if, if he was more sophisticated that once he got her to wherever he was wanting to take her, that he could then, if he was more sophisticated, that he would either have a better plan or he'd be able to continue to uh, be able to manipulate her better. Kill her in a different manner is what you're saying instead of the manner in which she was killed, which seems sort of like a sporadic type of, uh, like Nick said, reactionary type of killing. Um, and I do. Yeah. Or, or just to be able to convince her that, you know, things are going to be okay. That you're not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or that I'm okay. You know, you don't need to worry about me. Yeah. And, and again, speaking to Nick's comment about him being, uh, getting the better of her, of course, he's an adult a male adult and fighting a child i mean that blunt force trauma to the head easily could have knocked her out and then he just stabbed her three times in the neck and she just bled out wherever she was and i know that's a lot of graphic information but it's what the autopsy says but again it could be and i hate to agree with nick but some level of criminal sophistication because okay you have i hit her with whatever object okay, take off her clothes, put her in a tub, and the stab wounds are for her to bleed out. I mean, you said it hit her artery. Yeah. And and, and again, you're again, you're in country that these, there's a lot of people around there that understand how, how that works. Now, maybe more so on an animal, but it's not that far removed. It all works. It all works the same. I mean, do you, what do you think, Nick, about the the hunting aspect as far as you know people down in that area knowing exactly pretty much what to do if you needed to get rid of blood on a out of a deer or whatever you were hunting that day well i don't know that i necessarily think that the intention was to remove that amount of blood from the body i think it's just kind of happenstance that this was an attack when when you picture a fight Okay. go down you don't always land the punches where you want to and i'm i'm saying punches rather than stabs um, I think that you know, it that it it happened that she that he hit the artery and she the fight continued from there and she bled out mostly in that manner is is what I think probably went down. I absolutely believe that there was some type of secondary location. I think that there was a a, a place that he had that was private that he knew that they could be alone, and I think that. It's not so much necessarily, hey, you don't have to worry about me physically harming you. I think it's I think it's more about we're now going to do something that you do not want to do, regardless of what the result is. And I think that that was what Amy, the decision that Amy made, whatever this is, I'm not going along with it. And I'm willing to fight this grown up who is armed because I'm not going along with what's what's going down here. Well, no. And so do you think it's possible? that the um, that okay so declothe be in either to have a sexual act or is she declothed and he washes her clothes because she was covered in blood that's kind of exactly where i was thinking or my mind was going with the amount of blood and the fact that yeah that might not have been the goal you know, to get rid of the blood, but may have been an end result. 
but may it maybe it was the goal because he was going to have to now transport this individual if he killed her in the car the car is ruined i mean the car is that you're going to have to torch the car you're going to have to have somebody that you know demo the car breaking bad style um Right, we're talking eight ounces or yeah, more of blood. Yeah, you can't clean that up at at the murders at the spot yeah. of the murder. And when and yeah, and you'd think uh, some of that's going to get on our clothes. And like you said, there's not a lot of blood. Yeah, I on mean, it's clothes. it's not again like the autopsy does not read in the way that would make you believe that there was a lot of blood on the clothes. There was some yeah. blood. It didn't seem not, like not not enough to have more than sixty percent of the blood from the body yeah it definitely didn't drain oh god it sounds terrible it definitely did not you know happen there in my opinion i think that the reason for the redressing yeah it was probably sexually related as far as why she was unclothed to begin with but once he realized he was going to have to transport a body covered in blood um well and to really echo what you and and the captain are saying I also think the redressing is for several reasons and uh, you know, we don't, we don't need to list all of them, but one simply for the purpose of this stuff is evidence. I do not want this found in my hunting cabin that I own or my trailer that I own that will not look good for me. So I need to dispose of this evidence as well as this body. And I think it's also in, in a weird way, Please don't send me any hate mail, but this is a true, real thing. It's also some form of remorse shown by the killer yeah, to to yeah. redress the the victim. And I think that that's something that he purposely did. What What level of understanding he has of that, we will never know. And who really cares? But I think it's something that was purposely done and i think that psychologically on some form, in some way it's a it's a form of remorse and that goes back to he had some level of and it's hard to say these words but he had some form of care for he had some emotion toward this towards it's, the re- it's very reminiscent yeah. of oakland county but i i actually think it's the complete opposite and this is this is very weird for this is going to be a weird path, but but hold my hand and let's go down it together. No, thank you. Um, with Oakland County, one thing I've always suspected in in those cases is that the reason why they go well, wh- these kids look like they were they were held for a period of time. They were appear to be well kept, cleaned, well fed. Why? And the thought was that, you know, they, they nicknamed the killer, the babysitter killer, because it was somebody who was showing care and compassion for their victim. And then there was also thought of, well, he's, he's cleaning the victim and cleaning the clothing for, to, to get rid of evidence to, for evidentiary purposes. I actually think that it's, it is some of that on some level, but I also think that those children, this is some really dark, disturbing stuff. I think they were being rewarded for things that they probably did not want to do. I actually think that the, um, mm-hmm. the fried chicken that the kid King ate, I don't think that that was a taunt to the parents or taunt to the police. I think that that was a reward for him doing something that he did not want to do. I think what happened in Amy's case is I think that she didn't care about the rewards 
And at some point she fought back and this is the result. And yeah, I, I, I don't think that, um, I think there's probably some, some of the same similar ideals and, and thoughts by these very different killers. But I, I, I think that it went the opposite way very quickly in the Amy case. Well, Nick said the word remorse, which is probably not the word I would have used, but I think they're tied also a level of respect. And just like he said, like he he cared, this individual cared for her. So I think it, I think it is a sign of remorse, but I think it's also oddly a, a sign of respect that he wasn't going to have her found in the nude. And maybe that's also why he didn't bury her because he felt that was disrespectful as well. I agree with that. And as far as wanting the body to be discovered, I think if there was a sense of care there, then that would have been one way of showing some sense of care in this completely warped world we're discussing <clears throat> as far as somebody making that this is as a uh, way to make things better. But uh, I think, th- I think the body placement was more out of necessity. Um, I, I think I, it was too. I think it was easy, convenient. And I, I'm, I'm with the captain it. though. He captain. I think it was on a little pain. If he, if he, if he would have buried her somewhere in the middle of nowhere, we would have never, have, we would have a whole lot of less evidence. And he could have done that anytime. That's the thing. Like he could have gone back to the site if he needed to, he knows where he left the body. Uh, we know previous serial killers that have, well, not that this isn't necessarily a serial killer, but Bundy used to go back to see the victims. The green river killer would go back to see the victims. I mean, this isn't an uncommon thing. He could have gone back and buried her if he had the desire to right. do so. I don't know if that was again criminal sophistication. I think this is where he dropped the ball. That I think, like I said, I think this individual was fantasizing about a lot of things, but when it came to the end or the closure of whatever he was going to do, I don't think he sat around and fantasized about that. I don't think he got off on it on that i think he got off on the idea that he was going to be able to uh, capture this individual and to be alone with her and then get her to another place i think these were all fantasies um that motivated him and that's what he thought about that's why it seems to go according to plan according to plan according to plan all of a sudden oh shit what i do i think the placement of the body was was again maybe has a decent criminal mind but is panicked and that's why you know because anybody i think with some level of understanding of crime would go place her in the woods bury her somewhere else put her in water there's a lot of things that you could do um but I also think maybe that is, um, you know, like you were saying, I'm placing the body here because I want it to be discovered. And maybe there's a part of them, uh, part of this individual that wants to be discovered himself. Because he knows that these thoughts are, and these uh, urges are not. If you're listening, call the Bay Village Police Department and turn yourself in. 
Now the thing. Well, he's probably dead. The thing is, I I think that the fantasy for the fantasy to play out, he has to be able to maintain a certain level of control. And once that level of control ceases to exist, that's when the murder and the fight takes place. And and the captain's absolutely right. There was no planning beyond that fantasy, that sexual fantasy, because he, he failed to recognize the variable of the human element of the will to the will to not be a victim. And, Amy right. fought back. And so there he his lack of planning for that variable, everything went off the rails then and there. And that's where the plan stopped because he never planned for her not to be controlled by him. Yeah, because I think on some level, because he wanted it so bad and it was a desire of his that he thought she would as well. Yeah. Once I once I get her here and once this is happening she'll enjoy this as much as me. That's exactly that. Or he'll be able to control her. So it doesn't matter if she enjoys it or not. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all, is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me, Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that, I think by, um, I mean, just the control, once he lost control of the situation, I think it was, you know, the decision was made, but... I think this also leads me to believe that he probably hasn't com- committed any other murder. If this was, if this was, you know, he had a desire to like, okay. Fantasies don't have, ha- uh, they always have happy endings, right? So no surprise. He doesn't have a plan for the end of this fantasy because he sees it all working out. I'm going to abduct this girl. Maybe his plan is that she's going to, be in love with him and that they'll have a relationship and yada 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 but we don't know that for a fact but what we do know is that the reason that she's dead is because the plan didn't go according to plan and that's that's a fact and we can't discount that and i think with with what we with where her body was found, you mentioned it being a panicked spot. Okay, I think yes, she could have he could have taken her further, but I feel like he got her far enough away, like he just wanted to get rid of her and not be involved with it anymore. Like, I think that, and I think it's just pure luck that he has gotten away with it for as long as he has. I think possibly, but or possibly again. I, I don't again I don't think this guy was a dummy. I think he just take average level of intelligence, maybe a little less. But this guy would have known put her in the woods or but we, we see time after time with with Bundy, with Dahmer, with a, a bunch of other killers, even even child killers where there's so, such a remorse afterwards and their thought is, Oh, I'm never gonna do this again. 
I'm never going to let these urges get out of control ever again. Uh, or I think I can control the urges. I can still have them, but I'll control them. But I think there, there is a level of, you know, I'll place her here so she'll be found. I'm going to do so in as respectable of a manner as I can. I got to do it in a place where I'm not going to get caught. But there's a part of him that knows by her body being found that he could get caught then. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, as far as the location goes, I think that's just, uh, he knew the area, in my opinion. I think he could have probably done a better job hiding her, but I don't think that that was his goal. I Right. But, I think in some way that that might point out the, again, one thing that I've always kind of thought that I think that the, the connection between her and him, victim and perpetrator, is very thin. That, that there is not much of a breadcrumb trail at all. And I think that the the deciding to leave her out in the open where she would be found. I think that indicates that as well. I think that if there was, if there was an easy line that you could draw between her and him, he would have went to much greater lengths of getting rid of the body given the opportunity. Now I've, I've got a couple questions. I know Nick's got a role here in a little bit. So I, I just wanted to ask, do you guys have any thoughts on, whether or not this could be connected to Mark, you know, cause he traveled a ton and you know, you run into some, I don't know, not some, I'm not going to say shady characters, but you know, working in a service department, you can be anybody. And he was a sales rep and there were a lot of different dealerships and he was out of town for a dealership conference that day. Do you f- think there's any connection to those dealers at all? Because, I mean... I think the problem with that would be that I think you would see different sets of wounds, you know, maybe maybe more stabbings because then it would be more personable. It's more... Like, are you saying, like, that Like, my was... thought is that he, he's discussed it, discussed her with people, shown a picture of her. Somebody's like, oh, you know got a crush on her and decided that mm-hmm. he was going to call her, but didn't know her and right. then used the ruse as working with her mom as no, I work actually work with my dad or work with your dad. That's where I'm going with that. Nick, you have any thoughts on that? Well, so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting Avenue and it's something I know that they did explore, uh, mm-hmm. they being law enforcement and it's the right thing to do. I mean, his circle of, of his social circle, as far as, work relationships go would have been much greater than that of Margaret one because of his position and two as you stated he travels around and meets with these different uh, locations and that's a big that's a large part of his job at the time Mark Mahalovic himself has been on record stating you know I've always wondered if and when we catch this guy is it going to be someone that I go oh wait I know him from here. I just never made the connection because it's not in my immediate circle. It's not even on my secondary circle or the third, but it's somebody that, Oh, maybe we had a company picnic together and I remember talking to him or it's somebody that I would come across from time to time on my travels for work. So, I mean, he has said it himself. I think that all possibilities are certainly on the table, regardless of my theory that I don't think that, 
that Amy knew this guy. Well, I, I don't think it necessarily implies that she knew him. Right. I think it just implies that he knew her, and that's really all this takes. Right. And the the reason why I I, I kind of bring up the the dealership aspect of it is it's just like it's simple to go, you know, you're not telling a full lie. You do work with one of her parents. Um, so you, it's easier not to lie. And I've said from the get, if you can figure out how he knows her, but she does not know him, that is your fastest freeway that you can put your cop car on and lead you right to the killer. Yeah. And I did have Mark tell me that straight to my face, he thinks he'll know the person when the person's finally found. And that's just disturbing. But I think it's like a distance thing. Like you said, it could be a mechanic at one of the dealerships. That's where I'm, that's what I'm talking about. You is, know, and that's why, you know, when, when they talked about the suspect that worked at the horse stables, I always mm -hmm. thought, again, it's somebody that has a little bit of connection with her, a little bit of interaction enough to want to have a relationship with her. Yeah. Now, Nick, we've mentioned it before and you said you wanted to get back to it. The fact that there haven't been any suspects named by authorities, only by bloggers and uh, true crime authors, such as Ronnie. Damn bloggers. <laughs> bloggers and podcasters and whatnot. What do you make of that? I mean, do you, is there, is there, is there a reason, a method for their madness there? Or is it the fact that they really just don't have anybody? I think that it's a sign that they don't have anything very strong indicating one individual in particular. I think it's responsible. I think it's also a, a method that will not hinder the indication, the investigation further that I don't think they want the public thinking, Oh, we, we know who did this. We just can't prove it. And I think what we have here, we, we do have in some roundabout ways of law enforcement naming suspects, if you will. I mean, we have Robert Ressler, who straight up said Billy Strunak did this in his <laughs> book. Now, mind you, he didn't he didn't work actively work the case more than for 24 or 48 hours. And he wrote about it in his book years later. We do have. Bay Village Police Department on record in the papers saying that they wanted to speak with Frank Denis or Denise, if I'm saying his name right, D I E N E S. Dennis. Uh, Frank Dennis. Yeah, Frank Dennis. And in relation to Amy's case. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he's a suspect in their eyes, but it, it, he was. He did do work at their house. Yeah. He, he was enough to the point that they've, they publicly stated he's somebody we want to speak with. Now, the other thing, though, too, Spetzel, and you know this from personal experience, Bill, that he's not shied away from talking about individuals if directly asked about them. Uh, I, but I think I think the thing here is that what scares me is that I think that it shows that they're not a whole heck of a lot closer to who they think that it is today. I think that they probably very likely have crossed some people off of their list with a maybe not 100% certainty, but a 99% certainty. You, We just kind of touched on uh, Holly Hill and Harold Bound 
uh, I'm going off of memory. I believe his name is mm -hmm. Harold Bound. Yep. He was investigated pretty extensively for a long period of time, and they couldn't really find much in the way of evidence to directly connect him to this. There, there are still some question marks surrounding that individual for certain. Um, but yeah, I, it is interesting that 31 years later, that seems to be the case. And it's a bit disconcerting. Uh, you know, we, we did cover the case several times on true crime garage. You know, we've done over 400 episodes and the most recent time we spoke about this was a year ago, roughly a year ago today when we released episodes 345 and 346 and it's titled Amy Mahalovic suspects. And it's kind of funny that we covered it months and months before with the idea that we were going to discuss suspects in the case, believe it or not, is so large and such a long story to tell that we, we spoke for two hours on the case without naming any suspects and then had to come back to it in episodes 345 and 346. And I think that we probably named uh, four, four or five, if I'm remembering correctly, I do have a top 10 list of suspects that I like and I go all the way up to 10. Yeah. And I, I would like to get back to doing to, to releasing the other five because I have two on there that I think people will find to be very surprising. And okay. um, I, maybe at some point we'll get back to doing this. I, I did say though, and this was kind of a personal thing. I did tell myself last November that I had sworn myself off of Amy's case and, and that I was never going to look at it again. And I'm not going to lie to you. I, you know, like what Renner does. Well, I don't know what Renner does, but um, I, in this particular case, it's just, if you've seen the movie, the Zodiac where uh, Robert Graysmith, he's holed up in his house and he's surrounded by boxes and his wife and children leave him. I, right. I feel like I've been close to that point on this case a couple of times and it's not doing anybody any good. And it's actually detrimental to a lot of other things that I'm trying to do that are well, good things. And I'm not talking bad about Renner. I just know that with like um, Mars case several times, he said, I'm not discussing the Mar Murray case anymore. I'm, I'm not going to be actively looking into it anymore. Uh, a couple of times said he's not going to even be actively adding to the blog the problem with some of these cases is they're just, they seep into your blood and it's, you become, um, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no escaping it. You're going to constantly keep coming back. My issue with the suspects, which have been named in blogs, podcasters and books and stuff like that is again, we have created this narrative, um, there's the one individual that, you know, um, who, who's the guy that had the trailer, worked at the the search center for Amy? Strunak. Yeah, Gabe. Wait. Well, uh, Strunak worked at the center with the Amy Center. Yeah, I think yeah. you might be meshing two people. Together. Yeah, two. Yeah. I think the other, I think, was it Harold Bound that lived in the trailer, right? Well, Bound lived on the... Holly oh, no, that's right. He lived on the Holly Hill property. He lived on the Holly Hill property. Who's the one that committed suicide? Strunak. Okay, so that, yeah, that he one. He lived in an example. apartment. And a lot of people have stated in, that. In another town, actually, the town over. That he couldn't have actually done the crime because they didn't believe 
he was that violent. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have come up about Strunak. And again, the fact that Wrestler interviewed him or whatever he did with him for 24 hours and somehow was able to, hey, we, we think it's this guy. And then for literally until James wrote the, another book about it or started writing about it and seeing, it, it was kind of pushed to the back burner because basically people just figured, ah, it had to be that Strunak guy. Or remember the crazy guy that ran into the church and said, I killed Amy Maholovic. And right. right. No, it's what, weird because nowhere in Wrestler's book does he is there the actual sentence of Billy Strunak killed Amy Maholovic. But there's a mil, there's several sentences that say that he did in, in, in Wrestler's <laughs> opinion and without putting those actual words in the same right. sense together. And it's it's weird because when he first starts to lead down that path in his book of telling that story and he says, Hey, I'm helping out. Um, I believe it was, uh, agent Dunn, who was a, yeah. a longtime friend of wrestlers and who, who was a, um, uh, field agent in Cleveland and was actively working the Mahalovic case and probably doing some really darn good work on it. He says, you know, I sat down with these guys because I happened to be in town for for something else work related. And I sat down with these guys. We're going over the case and I'm drawing up a profile of the offender. And mm -hmm. when they're when we're done reviewing the case and I release my this is very CBS criminal minds stuff right here where he says, you know, I release my profile to Dunn and to the other agent that was working the case at the time. They said, okay, well, we have a list of suspects, and I can't remember if it was seven, eight, or ten suspects that they were pretty good on, that they liked for this, that they couldn't cross off their list. Mm -hmm. He says in the book that they, that they said that uh, two of them fit that profile. Billy Strunak fits it to a T. And then they go and they, they interview Strunak in his apartment, and uh what i've always been curious about is who was that other guy who was the other one that fit the profile that wasn't named and didn't fit it to a t but right. uh who who was that other guy and where have we gone with him and it, what's completely weird about the whole wrestler thing is that years later you have Dunn who says, yeah, I don't think Strunak did it. And wrestler thought so much that Strunak did it, that he put it in his book. It's, it, it's like literally like stepping on somebody's work. In my opinion, I mean, Dunn's here doing the hard work of investigating. He knows the case. And then wrestlers kind of like the, I'm going to fly in for my cameo appearance. <laughs> right. And here's my, here's my two cents on it. Here's my signature. Have a great day. In, well, but that, in but wrestler's that's defense, the weird thing was, you know, the story of his family, Strunak's family, cleaning out his apartment. Mm -hmm. I've actually spoke to one individual that claims to have lived in the same uh, apartment building and told me that it was like a 24-hour or less turnaround of the guy died and his family cleaned out his apartment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bizarro. We're not even going to take is. the time to mourn the loss of our loved one. Let's get in there, get his shit out of here and put some fresh paint on the walls. Maybe they knew he was a piece of shit. I don't know. <laughs> or, yeah. Want that well, security deposit. <laughs> well, my, that's my issue though, is, and that's something I, 
I question the work that we're doing or, or trying to do is if, if you're too dismissive of an idea or a theory, are there individuals, you know, like in the Amy case where this week, one of Amy's friends was at my house talking about the case. She's listened to several episodes. Is there anything that she knew or thought she knew that she has dismissed because she listened to or read some kind of publication? And I think there's probably a lot of people, maybe even eyewitnesses uh, at the the scene that maybe have never come forward, but later have investigated the case on their own and they get Renner's book and Renner dismisses somebody or listens to our podcast and we dismiss an idea and then they go, Oh, well that makes logical sense. I'm going to dismiss what I saw too. Yeah. I, I can see how that could be a disservice to the investigation. Well, and Renner's book doesn't really dismiss anybody. Yeah, he kind of leaves the door open. And the funny thing he, he he actually he actually just points out about five or six good suspects that he that he thinks are good suspects and kind of leaves it open ended. There are a couple points where he will uh, reference something that was said to him that that so and so didn't like someone for this, and here's why. Right, right, right. No, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to point the finger at him. I'm just using him as an example. It's a, it's a published, uh, a piece about the case, and I think a lot of times uh, listeners or people are interested in a case. They go, "Oh, well, it's published, so then everything here is fact," or this, this is a podcast that I uh, agree with, so everything that they're saying here is fact. So I think. Again, it might not even be dismissing. It could just be spending more time on the guy that you think is more interesting uh, and less time on this guy. And and I just wonder how much that has affected maybe anybody coming forward, especially in a case like this. It's 31 years old. And I think the same way with like the Mara Murray case, I think there's probably some people that know more than they've ever told people publicly, but they might have jumped and listened to a podcast five or six times and went, oh, maybe I didn't see what I saw. A couple of final questions before we go, because I know Nick's got some stuff he's got to do. But, you know, now that uh, Spetzel's retired and Torzny's not as involved as he was, what do you want to see happen with the investigation? Or who would you like to see take over the special investigation of the case? Just make Nick and Renner do it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I personally, I prefer, prefer Spetzel because he's been there since the beginning. And I know that he's been itching to get um, back to the investigation side of things. If he took over, would you guys feel confident about that? Um, yes. And actually, I think you, you kind of answered it the way that I was going to answer it. You know, the, who, who should take over the investigation with Torsney? done with you know retired fully retired and now Spetzel retired and my answer is the Bay Village Police Department and I know that sounds like a duh answer yes they've been working it for 31 years but you know Torsney as accomplished as he is and as brilliant I don't want to take anything away from that individual he's done a lot in his law enforcement career but this is not the case that I, I don't think it gets solved with somebody driving down here one weekend a month. I feel like this needs to be 
this needs to be put in the lap of someone that has a Bay Village badge on their chest. And I think that if if I were in charge, if I were the chief of police, and I understand Spetzel, had, when you are the chief of police, there's a lot of administrative uh, duties that, that take over the large portion of your job. You're overseeing the entire police force in that area. I get that. What I would do is I would put somebody, my best guy on this or best girl on this, and I would make it personal for them. Somebody that can wake up and go to sleep every night and eat and breathe and live this case, because I think that it's going to take somebody that is a part of that community and probably has been for the majority of their lives to have a complete understanding of, of the case itself. And again, nothing to take away from how brilliant Torsney is, but it, this is not going to be solved by some weekend warrior. And it's a kind of pound the pa- pound the pavement. Thing. It's a pound the pavement thing. And and if if I were in charge of Bay Village Police Department, look, top priority is to protect and serve the community and and uphold the safety level of the community. This is not a poor area at all. The taxes are not cheap there. If they don't have a cold case unit, they should get one or at least get one individual, very smart individual, and put them in charge of the cold case, uh, in, in charge of cold cases. And this one needs to be at the top of the stack because there's really, in, in this community, there's been no other bigger crime other than that of the, the Sam Shepard case. But look at, look, at, look at whole. Right, but is that you implying that you think it's local? No, what I'm trying to imply is that I think that it takes a local mind and a local understanding to be the one to finally solve this thing. It, and and maybe maybe it's not. May you know maybe it is because here's the vibe that I feel like I'm getting when when we hear from law enforcement on this case. There's two things. One, we keep getting told time and time again how quote unquote, solvable this case is. Well, is that really freaking true? Because it's been 31 years. Is it really solvable? It's, is it that much solvable that you've had, you've, you've supposedly had the FBI and Bay Village Police Department working arm in arm for 31 years and we've not solved it? Or is it just, we're really just waiting on the technology to catch up with this case? And that's, and, and maybe that's what they're doing. But frankly, that's not good enough for me. And I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it is a very difficult case. There's a lot of people that say that, you know, it's so unique of a case that this is the only time anywhere. There's never been another case like it where someone calls somebody on the phone and lures somebody somewhere. And that's just not true. Yeah. I brought it up on your show before Allison Perot. We looked at that case in, in good depth and, and that was the exact same yeah, yeah, my bad. It, but that's the exact same MO. And in fact, I've been reviewing a, a case that is uh, somewhat well known here in the greater Columbus area, that the same MO was used in that case. Mm. And what did we see in the Parak case? It was, in fact, uh, technology that solved that case. They didn't have any, they didn't have the lead that led them to the individual. And in the case that I'm talking about in Columbus, it wasn't closed until the suspect was dead. And he, he was probably a suspect at some point during that case, but they took somebody to trial and it was not him. 
Uh, question for you: the the distance between the plaza and where she was found? About yeah. fifty miles. Forty eight point three, I think, is so, what the yeah. uh, the FBI said it was. So I actually think this, and then this would probably take a miracle. It would take somebody with a a very um, very intelligent person that decided to look into this case, but just so happened to be from wherever this individual was, and possibly where the the spot that he took Amy if that makes any sense yeah I mean I... because because I don't know if this was local so it's like yeah you have eyewitnesses um, at the plaza but maybe the plaza is too important uh, or people are making the plaza too important and they're making the eyewitness statements from the plaza well it's like important. they say the sketch just throw that out the window I mean basically I mean right. I've had the chief tell me that don't even bother but the sketch, sketch does tell us something and and what it does something. tell us right no and i get that but what it does tell us is this person is either local or fits the bill of somebody that would be local he didn't was dressed right like he didn't a local stand out he this was not you know some charles manson looking long hair beard five foot three with a swastika <laughs> on his forehead this is not somebody that put off any alarm bells or raised any red flags he was somebody that fit the background of the environment that he was in be it if he is from that background or put himself there now so it, it does tell us that and right. I, bill i think you're absolutely spot on um is this person local i my answer is yes but i say that it's probably e either is or was local to the extent of northeast ohio and then I'm with you. I think that if this was a Bay Village guy, he was wearing a disguise that day because it would be he would have been he wouldn't have been able to go anywhere. Yeah, seventeen thousand is very yeah tiny, and it's it's and it's very close knit. This is not like seventeen thousand in like a yeah. rural area. This is seventeen thousand in a very tight knit suburb. Yeah. So I mean, with everything you know, let's just wrap this up. With everything that's been done, you guys have done so many shows. Nick and I were both on the Lake Erie Murders on the ID channel. Yeah, thanks, thanks for inviting me. Well, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't have the pulls, the strings to pull with the director on that one, but uh, but I'll say this, you know, is there anything we're not doing that we could be doing to, to help? I mean, I feel like we're kind of doing everything. Is there anything else that we're missing? Well, again, I, that's what I worry about this the true crime space, and not maybe for us and and. And I'm just saying everybody, podcasters, authors, uh, people making documentaries, be careful about dismissing certain things or, or changing the narrative because it really could stop somebody from coming forward. If I thought I knew something about a case and then I did a little bit of digging and I found two or three people stating whatever thing was stupid, and, and given logical reasons, because a lot of the people like you, Bill and Nick, you guys are intelligent people. So when you come up with a theory and you have some room to back it up, I think it could stop some people from coming forward. And I just think that's something maybe moving forward that maybe the whole community could, you know, take shape of, if that makes any sense. Well, and you asked totally. the question, is there something that we're missing? And the clear answer to me is 100% yes. 
you know, we keep hearing how solvable this case is. And I do think that it is solvable. Now, am I losing hope? Yes, a little more every year. I absolutely am. But I think it's, I still think that it's solvable. But here's the question that I, that I asked myself. And I think the captain was, was, you know, talking about this much earlier in our, in our conversation today. There's a very good chance that this case might be, there's, a little more complicated than it appears on the surface. And maybe that's why, in fact, it has not been solved to this day. And what are we missing? Well, we're clearly missing something because we've not solved it. I don't know what that is, but the the questions that I would really focus on that I think that will lead you or shrink your suspect pool a bit are very simple. Look at what this individual was able to control. We talked so much in this show about his fantasy, the script he was writing with that fantasy. And that means he has to be able to uphold a certain level of control of himself, of his environment, and the victim. So when everything was in his control, these were all things that he had decided and chosen in advance. Why? Why did he make those decisions? Why did he choose the options that he chose? And that's what's going to really lead you to this guy. Because as far as physical evidence goes, we've beat that horse to death or we're waiting on technology to catch up to that evidence. So if we're going to sit here and just sit on our, you can just sit here and sit on your hands if you want and wait for technology, or you can start answering some of these questions. Why Amy? He called her house. He wasn't cold calling, cold calling, looking for uh, donations or to sell you car insurance. He called her. Why Amy? Why the plaza? Why that Friday? Those are all three things that he controlled when he spoke to that little girl and that she, you know, unfortunately went along with. And still leaves so many unanswered questions. And, you know, just with those three things, it's just like can just spin your wheels on those alone um yeah this case is i think like you said it's solvable but i do think it is more complicated than maybe they are letting on and they maybe that's why they have kept some things close to the vest maybe they know that yeah and uh you know i feel like what you guys have done and you know just the involvement that we've given and attention given to this case i think i really think that that's the best way to you know keep a story in the spotlight is as john walsh always used to say you have to be the biggest cheerleader for you know if you lose a family member you have to keep the story in the news so she's not a family member to us but she's definitely something that she's a person that impacted our lives as kids and i think will always be connected to this case yeah i hope that they have something that they're either waiting on a test or they're currently testing or or going through a list um, similar to uh, what some people are doing now with the JonBenet Ramsey case. We have a list of suspects that are 20, 30 deep, uh, maybe in this case. And so going by one by one, one by one and, and trying to find ways to test, you know, whether it's DNA samples or, or whatever it would be. Yeah. I know that they are waiting on technology. They, they have said that. And, I I hope that they're not just waiting on technology. Right. 
So Nick, I know you've got a role. You've got a big busy day ahead of you and uh, the captain, man, what a pleasure to have both of you guys on who killed. This is an absolute delight. And uh, I think that you guys definitely have your own uh, opinions on this case. And I think the listeners will definitely pick up on that. <laughs> so uh, I can't thank you enough. So thanks a lot for joining me this week. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, thanks guys. for having us. Yeah. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you so much to Nick and the captain of the true crime garage podcast for all the time they've put into Amy's case, as well as joining me this week. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Anyone with information regarding Amy's murder should contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 or the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. We all want resolution for the Mahalovics and for the community. If you have any information regarding any of the other unsolved cases I have covered, you can also use the 1-800-CALL-FBI phone number. For the second year in a row, I was supposed to be representing Who Killed, Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, and my passion case on Podcast Row at PrimeCon 2020. But we had a pandemic. The event is now a virtual event and is called CrimeCon House Arrest, and it will be held November 21st from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., Tickets can be purchased at crimecon.com slash housearrest. You can use my promo code AMY2020 to save 10% on your ticket. If you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support independent journalism by clicking the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com or via PayPal with my username billhuffman123 at yahoo.com or via Venmo with my username at bill-huffman-3. Every contribution does help keep these slow burn podcasts running. And again, if you want to support the show by leaving a five-star review, that helps keep the show in the spotlight, and it helps keep cases like Amy's out there in the public. If you'd like to stay up to date on what I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at billhuffman3. Thank you guys so much again for listening, and until next time, be healthy. And stay safe. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. 
Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.